Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text, a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into a weekly passage relevant for the upcoming Sunday, um, explore some insights and ideas, and even float some sermon possibilities. I'm your regular host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. And my special guest this week is Kwesi Kana. Dr. Kwesi Kana is a professor here at Wesley Seminary and teaches in multi-ethic ministry and cross-cultural studies, as well as a number of other areas, including um, Bible storytelling is one of his masteries. I mean, to hear him publicly sort of perform and internalize uh, scripture passage is just amazing. It's like one of my favorite things that happens when we do public events at Wesley Seminary. So I always love exegeting scripture with him, and I've learned so much from him and with him talking about scripture over the years. We've taught here together for uh, seven, eight years now. So yeah, before that though, he had worked for about 10 years in uh, the United Methodist Church in the evangelism department and in other agencies. And before that, he and his wife were missionaries in Ghana. That's actually from whom they were adopted and received his name. That's not the name he was born with, but it is his true name that he was given in terms of his deep missionary calling. But before that, served uh, churches in Iowa for half a decade or so. So he and his wife, Sophia, have been a deep influence on me, and I respect them so much and so deeply and love an opportunity to share with all y'all who are listening in. So yeah, this is for the uh, second week of Pentecost, the second Sunday of Pentecost. And the passage is uh, comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39, and you'll hear all that in a second. So here goes the show. We're looking at the second Sunday after Pentecost. Okay. We're working way ahead here. The gospel, we're using the gospel text for now. We'll start to vary at some point in the project, but sticking to the gospel text for now is Luke 8, verse 26 through 37. So Luke 8, 26 through 37. So I'm going to, I had it out earlier, but I managed to put it away. So eight. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll just uh, read and then do some observing and then take a short break and do some interpreting and then another short, just breath of a break and then kind of sketch out where we might run with this uh, sermon wise, either together or separately. And we'll just see where it goes. Sound good. Sounds good. Uh, Would you be willing to uh, read the passage and then I'll say a word of prayer after that. Thanks. I'm reading from the gospel of Luke chapter eight verses 26 through 39. I'm reading from the NIV version. They sailed to the region of the Gerizines, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you. Don't torture me, for Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken the chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, They ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. 
Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let me say a word of prayer and get to it. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you have made all things, including this day, this day that the Lord has made, and including these scriptures that we have opened today, and including this man who underwent such a horrible experience. Even he is your beloved creature. Even these demons, though not made for this, are a twisted form of your creation. All things are made by you. And so you are Lord over all things, even the seemingly most terrible things. And so we ask God that in your creative power, you would preserve us in our being in this hour. And that you would do so with a purpose, the purpose of your grace, just as your grace entered in and restored and transformed and unleashed the true creaturehood of, of this man across the river, <laughs> that we, Wesse and I and all our listeners, across time and space, far away from the events of this story, that we would be transformed by your grace, that our eyes would be opened to see and hear what it is you long for us to see and hear in this passage and in this world. Lord, we ask that you would do this work by your Holy Spirit in us all, by the precious and powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so what uh what jumps out at you? What are just some initial uh impressions when we open up this this story? Well, when whenever I learn uh, or or I'm preparing for a sermon, I try to use a little guide just to get me into it and it's it's kind mm. of called the five Ps. I look for for oh, the yeah. people, the places, uh the problems, the prophecies, and I, I for alliteration's sake I use predictions. <laughs> which is foreshadowing. Ah, uh, okay. So, Literary predictions as it were. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. So as the, I, the third was the fourth was prophecies. Yeah, so it's people, places, oh, prophecies, yeah, problems and predictions. Well, that's good. Well, let's use it. That's, I might steal that. I might use that every week now in fresh tech. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I I'll need to make sure to not use it before this week and reveal that uh we record out of order, but <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. That's great, though. That's really great. Yeah. yeah that, so that uh, that it. takes us to the first verse, which is uh, verse 26 of, of chapter 8. And it said, they, meaning the disciples yeah. and Jesus, sailed to the region of the Gerasenes. So I'd, I'd stop right there. And it says it's, it's across the lake from Galilee. Mm-hmm. So I, I start there by saying, well, they the, the, the gospel writers are very intentional. Mm. Nothing is put into a, a, a pericope by accident. So why is it important for us to know where Jesus was in a place called Gerasenes, across the lake from Galilee? So that starts my, my wheels turning. Yeah. And, and, and the first thing is Jesus had a couple of uh, Galilean campaigns. He, he, he did some things before he called the 12, and then he did some things after he's called the 12. So this is the kind of the second camp, Galilean campaign. And there were different regions in, in the Galilee area. So what is it about this place called the Gerizim? So that would be a question mark. Yeah. So I'd, I'd kind of put a pin in that and just say, need to find out something about the Gerizim. Yeah. And that putting a pin in, it's such a good strategy. I, I appreciate you sharing the that format of the five P's 
because I mean, often on this podcast, we do as much kind of meta stuff about just good, good, good study habits and stuff for, for folks to listen in. Yeah. Um, and, and you're also modeling there that how to make an observation and then to not just run with it and try to go interpret it and go reach for that commentary. Like, no, just there it is. And then keep observing. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's real tempting to now go do that. And then all of a sudden, two hours later, all you've learned about the, uh, is the garrison. That's it. That's you it. haven't studied the text. Right, right, right. right. So this, that's really this is kind of my preliminary investigation. That's perfect. That's so good. So then yeah. I, I keep reading down through. And so Jesus, he steps ashore. And then, then the first thing that happens is he's met by a demon-possessed man uh, from the town. Mm-hmm. And this again, because you you know something, you you bring some knowledge to to this uh, experience. You know that this was not an unusual thing for Jesus to meet people who were demon possessed. This was something common in the culture. Uh, I, I've taken to, um, to to learning passages in in uh, the Gospel of Mark in particular. And one thing I noticed as I was internalizing those those biblical stories was that. Every time Jesus spoke, it seemed like he'd go in, it said he'd go into the synagogue, he would preach or teach and cast out demons. Uh-huh. This was kind of a normative practice for, yeah. for Jesus. So this would be another thing for me to investigate, uh, you know, just kind of put a pin in. He, he's meeting a demon-possessed man. This is a common thing. I can look across the, the Gospels and kind of see what happens when Jesus encounters the demon possessed. What kind of relationship does Jesus have with the demons, with the spirit realm? So that'd be another place I'd put a pin in. That's for, for investigation, possibly. You know, all exactly. these are possibles. You can't exactly. face them all, but this is a possibility. Now yeah. we start Jesus to learn. Is a demoniac magnet, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Wherever he goes. Right, right, right. So now we start to learn something about this man who's possessed by this demon. For a long time, this man hadn't worn clothes. He hadn't lived in a house. Yeah. He lived in the tombs. This this man is living outside of the norms. Yeah. So the first kind of contemporary uh, parallel I saw is that this is a homeless man. Mm-hmm. That's he's right. Not, this is and, and and he's not in his right mind. Yeah, that's right. And he's living in the place where people don't usually want to hang out. The tombs. Mm-hmm. So that that stirred a thought for me because uh, Sophia and I were missionaries in Ghana for four years. And in Ghana, and I think it may be true in, in other uh, developing countries, the the people that are mentally ill walk naked through the streets and walk just, that's, that's an identifier to say that there's something wrong with them. You know, they're, uh, they're, they're not, they're, they're out of their mind. There's something that's not clicking because they're not adhering to the cultural norms, which is to clothe yourself. So this man has for did a long folks in, Did folks there not a, you wouldn't go and clothe them because in a way that almost protects them because it marks them as, so you give them a little, it's like. Yeah, it was just. Because you know, you're not, we know you're not in your right mind. We're not going to, yeah, it marks them. Yeah. And there's, and there's a lot of symbolism in, in Ghanaian culture in particular. What the clothing, the color of the uh, clothing you wore uh, would symbolize whether or not you're in grief, because if you're in grief, you wear black or brown I see. Or, or red. So, you know, what you're wearing says something. There are adinkra symbols that, that say different things. And the, and the, those symbols are, are printed on cloth. So, for example, there was one in particular, one pattern that uh, a woman would wear it and she would basically, it would basically be communicating, I know my husband's been cheating on me. Oh, <laughs> you know? Okay, wow. <laughs> So then, the na- so then the nakedness function as to say, I'm not a part of that structure in a sense, yeah. right? I'm outside that. Is that kind of what you're saying? Well, yeah, it's just, it was just, it was just, you know, the fact that you, you saw these folks and I guess it would, it would uh, tender some kind of a different kind of compassion for this yeah. person. So, uh, what, what kind of state of mind they're in. So, well, that resonates here. I mean, you see it here. This guy's just not, yeah. not only not living in a house. I mean, he's living in tombs. I mean, that's yeah. a weird yeah. place, but like kind of a even likely a, perhaps a forbidden place to live. You yes. Know I mean? Like, yes. Jews. Yeah. So exactly. When you, when you start thinking about the, 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 uh, the kosher laws and the, and yeah. the laws, and you like, who, who would be hanging out in the, in the, in the tomb where, where the dead folks are certainly a, a good, respectable Jew would not be just hanging out there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, and, and so that also is another little, little clue, maybe a foreshadowing there. Mm. So now we go further and we see, 
he saw Jesus and he cries out, shouts at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high? Now, this is the first time perhaps that this demon-possessed man is seeing him. And this is not the man, but the demon speaking. So it's interesting to note throughout scripture that the demons recognized immediately who Jesus was. Now, I taught a Bible storytelling class with Tom Boomershine, who's a New Testament and oral culture scholar. And he calls these sonic echoes. In other words, when mm. have you heard this before? Mm. And in Mark's gospel in particular, when Jesus goes into the synagogue in Capernaum, he's teaching there. The people are amazed. And there's a man who's demon possessed. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, what have you to do with us? Yeah. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So what is it about the demons yeah. that they knew who Jesus was before Peter had the great revelation that thou art the Christ? So, so there's this relationship between Jesus and the spirit realm, Jesus and the demons, and there, there's a knowing that's already there that's, that's really interesting. And, and you also, if you look across the, the different gospels, you see that when Jesus would go and he would cast out the demons, he forbade them for, from right. speaking. They knew who he was. So that's an interesting little piece there that the devil sometimes knows who Jesus Mm -hmm. is more than the saints of God do. Yeah, I was just glancing, and Luke has that same story right at the beginning of the ministry. So, although a little later, because he's got that Nazareth scene, you know, that's not in Mark. But uh, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that same same story appears in Luke, and and so that would have been that first encounter, and... and, uh, so yeah, those sonic echoes like ring really true, you know. Yeah. Although of course, as you know, Mark, uh, which is the more kind of action-packed and very supernatural kind of gospel, it's not that he has more of those stories, but he has less of some of the other kinds of stories that right, appear in right. Luke, and so it draws more attention. Yeah. Um, and so that even the healing stories are often in a kind of demonic ambiance that is not always the case in some of Luke and Matthew's stories. Um, yeah, you clearly. Yeah, so I, I shouldn't get into the comparison too quick, but I always yeah. want to go there. I, I keep trying to, like, you know, okay, don't rush to that, especially because I got the synopsis out. But you know, yeah, stick to Luke for now. But I just wanted to quick because you brought up Mark. I was like, oh, is that in Luke? And I was, I was pretty sure it was. I flipped. Yeah, it yeah. So yeah, um, that same kind of, you know, who are you? You know, what do you have to do with me? Why are you bugging me? You know, right. a real right. sense of threat. You know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Now the, the next the next verse chapter I mean verse twenty nine is 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 what caught my attention because prior to that we see the the demon saying what do you want with me Jesus of Nazareth and so forth and it 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 seems like you know nothing has 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 been spoken between the two of them but the next verse twenty nine says for Jesus had commanded the spirit to come right. out of the man did, you know did, was he saying under his breath as soon as he saw him come out of me. Mm. Was it a mental thing? Somehow there was a communication that the demon understood that you, you are not yeah. going to, this is not going to be a normal day for you. You got to get up out of here. <laughs> you know? So, so yeah, that power and dynamic. You can, feel that, you can feel the orality there too, because yeah. when you tell yeah. a story, you, there's often, like when you're writing a story, you're much, much more inclined to, to tinker with the chronology. Yeah. Uh, but when you're speaking a story and it's being handed down, it's really often to kind of, say the thing and then to say, you know, cause he had been saying, right. To yeah. tell, to mention something that happened slightly earlier, you know, to just kind of, and I like that you, you can feel the morality in this story. I, yes. I, I do, you know, and, yes. and the, the fact that it's in Mark and probably through Mark made its way to Luke and Luke is, and Mark is so clearly, uh, this deeply just tons of oral traditions, you know, right. Writing in Mark and even ha- has been written in a way to, to retain that feel, you know? Right. Right. I don't know. That just sounded so oral. I mean, how many times have I been telling a story and I say, blah, 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 blah. And the moment you say it, you remember, oh, I need to fill you in on a little detail for that thing exactly. that I just said to make sense, right? Exactly. <laughs> but then yeah. you find that it just works and you leave it that way. Like, you, you don't, you know, you don't need to go fix it. It's fine. It, it's the way that storytelling works, you know? That's it. Um, That's it. It's more exciting to have, you know, because it's almost kind of a given, like, obviously Jesus is, you know, but it's actually kind of fun to kind of give the first line of the story. Right to right. Uh, to the demon, you know, um, or to the to the demon possessed man. Yeah, wow. 
So, so you know, so so and and, and the, the idea of internalizing the passage, meaning that you get this thing in you, and if you if you're able to do that and just tell the story as they were telling it in the first century, you do get a different sensibility about mm-hmm. what was going on. You feel the, a different emotional connection to it, a different sense of of how this thing was transpiring. So, you know. Part of after I do my initial uh, investigation, the next thing I would do would be to internalize this passage. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's what I do as as a Bible storyteller is to learn it and just to replay it and rehearse it and live it and embody it, so that I, I glean from from that uh, experience a different um, notion of what's going on, rather than a silent reading of the text. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, as I as I look at this first portion, now we've kind of come to uh, a next juncture in this passage where Jesus is going to ask his, uh, the name of this demon. And of course, that then is another place to put a pin in. Why, why does Jesus need to know the name of the demon? Yeah. And, and that's uh, another thing to chase. What, what was the significance of names in biblical times? Right. And that, that goes back to, for me, it takes me back to the River Jabbok and the, and the wrestling yeah. match. That's where my mind was going to. You know? And, and 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 the wrestling with with the with the angel and 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 Jacob. What what's your name? And I'm not, like I'm not telling you my name. And and I remember when I researched that one, there was the understanding that in biblical times, if you knew the name of someone, you had power over them. Mm. So that'd be another thing to chase just the the understanding of of names and their significance mm. in biblical culture. And, and, and that will give you some insight as to why Jesus is asking this demon-possessed man, what is your name? And then he replies. He, he has to. He yeah. has no choice. It's legion. Wow. Uh, because many demons had gone into him. This man was messed up. Yeah. You know, he was, he was, he, he was possessed by uh, so many different demonic powers that it was causing him to be so erratic in his behavior and, and so abnormal. I can only imagine what he must have been feeling. He was powerless. Uh, he, he, was, he was subject to these demonic forces. And the demons then begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. That'd be another thing. What, why didn't they? Why, what's, what's wrong with the abyss? I mean, you were in a person and Jesus is sending you something. What, why, why, why are you as, uh, afraid of that? You may not, may not find it, but it's just a question. It's one of those problem things with the five P's. Why are they upset about going into the abyss? Is that some place of no return? We don't know. We'd have to kind of hunt that down. Then they see this large herd of pigs. And then I go full stop. Wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to they're in the Gerasenes, the region of the Gerasenes. And now they're encountering a herd of pigs. Jesus, yeah, a Jew in a land where there are pig farmers. Where is he? That should be a, a big alarm right there because we know of, of, of the Jew Gentile thing, the Jew Samaritan thing. Yeah. Uh, so so this causes you to to wonder. Now Jesus and the disciples are now going into a place where there are pig farmers yeah and that's a They're great in, example of why putting a pin in the garrisons earlier yeah being with the text to sort yeah. of especially because you know you could go and do a bunch of research and it might be accurate but it actually could distort because the text itself is giving us a little clue into the kind of place we are mm-hmm. um right that by you know you know, you don't have to go necessarily and run off and look up about the garrisons right away because right. the text itself's giving us little clues that this is not a, at least not a kind of Pharisaic, Pharisaic culture like Galilee was. You know, yes. it's real attention to law. Maybe, maybe they were, even without looking it up, you could say maybe they were Jews that uh-huh. had that weren't as strict. Maybe they weren't even Judeans. Maybe this is a, you know, this is a more uh, straight up Gentile area, or at least what Galileans would think of as Gentiles, which is right. Um, Jews call other Jews who are not being good Jews. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. yeah, the text itself is already given us a lot to work with there. No, Very that's good. Really, uh, that's really Very good. good. Yeah. So, so Jesus commands these, these demons, uh, they go into the pigs, they, and they, there's a stampede, and they run and jump off the cliff to their death. Now the fun starts. 
Yeah, after, right. yeah. <laughs> after this happens, the people run off, and of course, there's no TV and there's right. <laughs> no texting. So there's hot news and gossip to, to, to be spread. So they go out and tell everybody what happened. And the people <laughs> <laughs> went out to see what happened. You know, they, they stop everything that's going on. So can you imagine the commotion that's taking place in this local place? 2,000 swine just jumped to their deaths because a man commanded them to do so. What? What? We got to see about that. So they come out. They see what happened. They see the man that the demons had come out of sitting at Jesus's feet. He's now dressed. See, now there's a change. He's 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 never been dressed since I, as long as I've known. That boy has been walking around yeah. there without any clothes in the tombs, and now he's dressed and they can see immediately he's in his right mind. He's been restored, and now they're afraid. Mm-hmm. Now, that's that's kind of a, a, a interesting response. They were afraid. That would be one where I'd want to geek out a little bit and go and do mm-hmm. my, my little uh, trustworthy concordance uh, examination because I'm not my, my Greek is so rusty it's of, of no use to me. And I'd find out afraid. What what kind of fear? Because our our English language is is often so anemic. Mm-hmm. Were they frightened? Were they awestruck? You know what kind of fear is this that they're having? And then those who had seen it told the people how this man had been cured. Now the testimony of Jesus is starting to to be voiced among the folks. And now the people have a different reaction that you would, from what you might expect, they tell Jesus, you need to leave, get up out of here. Because again, they're now they're overcome with fear. They were afraid and now they're overcome with fear. Mm. So Jesus leaves. So that, that would be an interesting point to kind of mull over as you're doing sermon preparation. Why, why are people afraid? When what has been normative, even if it's aberrant behavior, if somebody changes something that they're used to, even if it's for the good, why are they afraid and why are they fearful? Why do people get uh, undone when status quo is disrupted? Mm -hmm. Now that and then you could take that in a lot of places historically where when evil was disrupted. In, in social systems, in, in legal systems, you go down the line and, and, the, and the response is that people are afraid. What are they afraid of? Mm-hmm. What are they afraid of? <laughs> you see, there's a lot of questions that, 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 that arise as an African-American that, you know, that, 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 that they're obvious uh, connections for me historically about what happens when, when something evil is overturned, a status quo some kind of systemic thing that's been going on is suddenly challenged by a person that they cannot beat. Mm. What, what, why do people become fearful and afraid when that happens? What are they afraid of losing? What what might be found out? And you could go down all kinds of avenues. And it might that. manifest in anger, resistance yeah. to change. But you know, when you know, in the cool of the evening, when people are being honest, then the fear is what they can even you know. When you're welcoming the change, the fear in others is so obvious, you know, yes. but when you're resisting it, you're like, no, I'm not afraid. I'm, I'm, this is important or what, you know, but then you pause right. and you think, you know, like, yeah, no, I'm just afraid. I'm afraid of the change that's a coming. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because with that comes, you know, cause I mean, there's, there's a, you, you could almost say it's like the, these, the lot, the loss of this uh, pig herd is a kind of collateral damage uh, yeah. or yeah. redemption's collateral damage, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. There might be some property loss. Right. Uh, in the in the process of waging this war against the devil. Yeah, because uh, you can imagine the, if if many of the people that had gathered were were pig farmers. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that if Jesus stays here, I won't have a livelihood. Yeah. And they might be just thinking, oh, this was just a, you know, a kind of, you know, some Galilean Pharisee coming over and using his magic to get rid of our pigs. Yeah. I mean, they don't know, they don't know what Jesus is up to right away. You know, they, they're, they're bringing in all their prejudice right. to the 
to the encounter and just assuming that uh, they might be assuming the worst. And no wonder then the last kind of moment in the story then is that the man wants to come with Jesus. And yeah, that, that isn't I'll just Jesus is awesome. <laughs> you might also want to get out of town because once Jesus is gone, I mean, he's going to get blamed for this. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, who's going to want to hire him to, you know, yeah. well, he's probably never going to want to see another pig in his life. <laughs> no, no, he's, he's going to be the, the, the point of, of a lot of controversy. You're the yep. one that's, you're the one that started this. You know, why don't you just stay the way that you were now? Now look at, now look at what happened. And, and so, Interestingly, again, Jesus does not allow him to go with Jesus and the disciples. He says, no, return home and tell how much God has done for you. In other words, go and testify. Testify of of the goodness of of God. Share what God can do. Tell Tell the folks here who perhaps have never heard this or seen this or experienced this, and they know that who you were and, and how you were out of your, your right mind, now you're restored, you're in your right mind, tell them who did this. And be strangely, a, be, he doesn't command them to be silent. Yeah, be a witness to me. Right? Be, be, yeah, be a witness. <laughs> and so yeah. the man went away and told everybody over town how much Jesus had done for him. So we're seeing here, now this, this got my juices flowing here because Jesus has to leave. But he leaves a witness yeah. there in place. There's a need for not just the spiritual healing. The man has been exercised of the demons, but there's a social healing that needs to take place. For, for how many years? He said a long time. Right. The man was out there outside of his probably his family system. His, there he had no friends. And now he's in his right mind. So will the community now... Uh, absorb him and and welcome him back now that he's quote unquote one of them with with his right mind. So we see that Jesus's healings, whether they're physical or spiritual, often lead to uh, social healing and reconciliation as well. And that was that that was, it would be interesting from a preaching standpoint. You could just take that tail end right there and say, when Jesus tells you to go home. <laughs> So not, see, now I start getting into possible sermon directions or sermon titles and things to chase. So there's a lot of different things. So this was my initial investigation. Yeah. I looked at great. the place. We've kind of surmised. We're, we're using our imagination to imagine how the people in that region may have reacted to Jesus. What kind of people were they? Were they Gentiles? Were they undisciplined Jews, as they're referred to sometimes, non-practicing Jews? They're, they're pig farmers. Uh, we, we're using our imagination to think about uh, those sorts of things. We've, we've looked at, there weren't any prophecies here, but just, just the notion of looking backwards in the past stirs up the notion of, of sonic echoes. Have we seen some of these things before, like Jesus encountering uh, demon-possessed people and so forth, or, 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 or some of the other things that we've looked at? And then predictions. Is there anything in this passage that predicts something that might happen further on in one of the gospels or later on. And the very fact that Jesus had crossed the lake, gone into this region that we we might presume is a Gentile region, because it actually is in the Decapolis, which was a Mm -hmm. Gentile region. Is he paving the way and doing a, a live example for the the disciples who are now with him that I'm doing this and, and you're going to do this too later on. Yeah. Peter, uh, yeah. with Cornelius, you know, you, you're going to see a dream later on and, and it's going to be all right. You're going to, have to yeah, you're yeah. going to have to get over yourself and your Jewishness and your customs and, 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 and eat things that you think you shouldn't be eating. And you're going to mix with people you think you shouldn't. And then Paul later on, who was called to the, to the Gentiles. So is there a foreshadowing in here? And who always on his way back through the second time through points elders, you know, <laughs> yeah. As a, you know, this is almost foreshadows. He's like the first Gentile elder, this, right. uh, <laughs> this naked man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Been yeah. Healed and then, and the content of his, uh, his proclamation is just the testimony of what he experienced. 
That's yes. all. That's all you got to know is all the things that Jesus has done for you. That's uh, right. That's and enough. People, that's people, a starting point. You know, people think that you have to get a lot of training to be an evangelist, uh, and all you need. Nope. To, the first thing you do is you just tell what what wondrous things Jesus has done for me. Yeah, whatsoever Jesus has done to him. Yep. yep. Last line of the. Yeah, the, the story in, in the Luke version. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll maybe chase down, not all, but maybe a couple of these bunny trails, explore them a little bit. And then in conjunction with that, just ease straight in also uh, homiletically where we might want to take this. And we were already dropping some hints there. So, all right. And we're back. <laughs> All right. Just a deep breath for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it helps to break up the, the pot a little bit. So we're looking at uh, Luke uh, 8 verses uh, 26 through 39. I think I got the number right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 26 through 39. I'm here with my guest, Quisi uh, Kanaan. We've just been spending a long, good long time doing some observations and interpreting, leaving a couple trails. We can, uh, if you want, we can jump straight into like a title and then backtrack into any interpretive questions or did you want to camp out on were any of those particularly it's always a hard call for me it's like sometimes i'm like okay what well, what do i want to learn a little bit more about and i go down that and then sometimes sermon ideas come out of that mm-hmm. other times i'm already a sermon's brewing yeah and yeah let, and then i let that sermon idea be be my not that it I, I never want it to like make it so that i you know cook the books so that the evidence supports my sermon. However, it can be my principle of selectivity. You know what I mean? Yes. If this is where my sermon's going, then that's where I need to send my research, right? So it's not unidirectional from exegesis to preaching. It goes back and forth. So having said that, where do you want to go? Do you want to chase down one of these things that you highlighted or do you want to, or do you already have like a sermon brewing and you want to, you you mentioned a title, like you got one brewing already? (laughs) Well, and and just, just for, for the listening audience, this is another part of my preparation the choice of what direction I take in the passage is not solely determined by the passage. That's right. Because I'm also exegeting the audience that I'm speaking yeah. to and the context, the time, the place, the occasion. So yeah, my right. choice mm-hmm. of, of where to go in the, the people, passage, places, problems of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The contemporary people and places. That's and problems. right. Yeah. So, so I'd, I'd have to have, my audience in mind, who, who's in the audience, what kind of issues are they dealing with? And if I'm pastoring this flock, my task, part of my, my uh, sermon prep task really happens throughout the course of my relationship with, with the congregants. Mm-hmm. Have I visited with them? Have I seen them in their, their high moments and their low moments? Have I gotten to know them enough so that I kind of understand what things excite them, what things trouble them? So that as a good shepherd, I can then feed them the food that they need to the best of my ability with the, with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. What part of this passage would that audience need? Then the other piece is sometimes a contemporary situation will arise that kind of busts into the, the normalcy of everyday life, and it demands a Christian response. Right. So is there, for example... In our contemporary situation right now, we've got a raging debate over immigration, Mm -hmm. a raging debate over whether or not to to, uh, fund the building of a wall on our southern border of the United States. There's a raging debate that has spurred on uh, us-them mentality, uh, uh, demonizing others and those sorts of things. And if my congregation is caught up in that kind of thing, I might look at the title crossing the lake. <laughs> yeah. Because if you look just just immediately what what precedes this yeah, pericope the, the stilling of the storm is yeah. Jesus verse 22 of, of of chapter 8 says one day Jesus said to his disciples let's go over to the other side of the lake. Yep. Contemporary equivalent might be let's Go on the other side of the tracks. Mm-hmm. Let's go over to that side of town. Let's cross a border. Let's go to a place that we usually wouldn't go. Let's encounter a group of folks that we normally would not engage because our imagination has already stirred up a fiction 
that has caused us to have some kind of reaction. It may not be based in fact. It may be based in lore, what other folks have said about those people. And Jesus is saying, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Let's go to that place where you normally wouldn't go and engage folks that you normally wouldn't engage. And let's bring the good news of Jesus Christ there. Now, that's one tact. The other tact is sometimes when you go on the other side of the lake, you find that people there have something to teach you. Right, right. <laughs> and it's not a benevolent dictator kind of thing where I'm going to go in the up position and, and hand something to the to folks in the down position. So in, in that notion of crossing the lake, it was interesting to me that as the disciples got in the boat, Jesus falls asleep. This is, you know, we right. said we're going to the other side of the lake, right? Yeah. And then this storm brews. Now that, that notion of yeah. the storm, I, I remember uh, writing a devotion on this particular passage while we were in Ghana. And in Ghana, they have two seasons. It's either hot and dry or, or hot and wet. <laughs> and, and when Harmattan season takes place, that's when the north, the trade winds shift from a southerly direction and they come now from the north. North of Ghana is the Sahara Desert, if you go far enough north. And so when the trade winds blow across the Sahara Desert, they, they pick up sand and they blow it all the way to the ocean because Ghana is on the, on, the, on the ocean. And there's a cataclysmic collision between the north winds and the south winds. And whenever that happens, that marks the shift in seasons. And there's, there's I mean, the lightning and thunder and, and torrential uh, downpours and tree limbs fall apart and those sorts of things. So I can imagine that type of squall stirring up as Jesus is in the boat with the disciples and they're terrified and they wake Jesus up and basically saying, you know, we're going to drown. And in other versions, it says, don't you care that we're going to perish? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and Jesus yeah. gets up and he rebukes the wind and the, and the waves, waves and, and everything calms down and asks them, where's their faith? So for me, the fact that Luke because uh, the Gospels are, are plotted narratives. You know, everybody knows they're not in chron chronological order. Each, each Gospel writer plots, makes a, a, a plot and decides what narratives need to go in what order in order to fulfill the, the, the intentions of the Gospel writer. So Luke intentionally puts this particular episode, this story of Jesus calming the sea, right before this situation where they're in the garrisons. And so for me, it, it would tie into the notion of crossing the lake because sometimes it, for, the, for the disciples, they were now going into a Gentile community. This was now a big leap for them. Remember in, in one of the earlier uh, passages in, in, in the Gospels, sometimes I talk about Jesus and the woman at the well in, in, in John. And it's interesting because Early in Jesus's ministry with the disciples, he tells them strictly and forbids them from going to the Samaritans. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine there was a similar kind of, he maybe didn't even need to say it about them not going to the Gentiles. And yet then later on in John, I think it's John 4, he's with the, the, this, uh, this woman at the well and, and it says he had to go to Samaria. Jesus now is in Samaria, in that John passage, with the disciples again. So was there an expectation that the disciples' maturity had evolved uh, yeah. so that, no, at the beginning of your ministry, you couldn't handle it. Now I'm in Samaria. Now here in this Luke passage, uh, the, the, the notion of uh, a Jew encountering a Gentile early on in, in the relationship between Jesus and the disciples might have been too much. But at this point, Jesus is modeling. I'm no, showing sorry. you that this, is, this good news is not just for the household of faith. This is for everyone. And so I'm going to model this by going across the lake into this Gentile territory, and I'm going to show you how I treat other folks. So, I mean, that that for me becomes a great intro to this passage because there was a great storm. And I wonder if sometimes there's a great storm that brews within us when God tries to get us to step out of our comfort zone. 
and issues yeah, a, a type of Macedonian up. call. Oh yeah, you know, to to <laughs> yeah. go into a place that Crossing we normally lake. don't go. Yeah. So what's your lake? What's yeah. the dividing line? What's the border? What's what's that line of demarcation that separates you from other folks? Right. So it was uh it was the Sea of Galilee for these disciples. You know, later for Peter, it was uh, the centurion there. And for Paul with the Macedonian man, it was the Aegean Sea, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah these kind of, these sense of what are, what, what is your lake? And that's a discernment question that, you, you know, you can help your flock, but it's, you know, individuals may have different challenges, although usually a community has certain, there, there's some lakes that need to be, need to be named and identified, but. Uh, right, right. Yeah, and I think that fits in with one of the themes. This is a great example, actually, where you kind of, when you hone in on a theme, you then can double back and follow the things you put pins in earlier, where you were asking about the fear stuff. So <laughs> you're talking about getting out your Greek. So, you know, you, you, you can cheat because I'm here. Uh, <laughs> so all these are, these are all, you know, the, the first one, you know, they were afraid when they see him in his right mind. It's, it's Phobos. It's F O. Face on, and then again, when they were seized with a great fear, right? That mm-hmm. one is, uh, you know, a, a megalophobo, right? So it's that phobos twice. So that word can mean awe, they're impressed, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to mean like scared, terrified, right? It can mean that it can be a sense of being awestruck, you know, and some translations yeah. even use that word to kind of avoid the confusion that we sometimes have in English, like you say, because I think English is a little ambiguous about this. But interestingly, in terms of your tie-in then, you have almost the same expression in Luke during the stilling of the storm, which, side note, comes right before the story of the demoniac in all three synoptics. So they keep these Uh two stories together. Uh Uh, And then right after in Mark and Luke, but not Matthew, the story, the Jairus' daughter story happens. Yes. So um, that's kind of a sequence that's clearly, I'm, I'm guessing Mark, and Mark tends to tell in threes, you know, you'll have a thing uh-huh. and another thing and another thing that kind of pieced together really well. And Luke kind of retained that here as he often does, but it has the same kind of thing. It, it doesn't use the phrase fear in terms of when they're in the boat, but it's obviously implied that they're scared, uh-huh. normal uh-huh. sense of fear. But specifically at the end, when after he stills the storm and says, have you no faith? And it says they were greatly afraid, right? They were afraid, right? Uh-huh. Greatly in, in Mark. But so, you know, who, who is this then who commands even wind and water Yeah, yeah. to obey him? But I mean, that, that kind of, they were, I mean, I bring it up to say that like they've experienced fear. Yes. Fear slash awe in the face of Jesus power. Yes. On their behalf. First, you know, he's, you almost can see it pedagogically. He's kind of forming them, training them, preparing right. them for then the awe slash fear that they experience then across the lake, right? Yes. And, and you know, I could see that even pastorally in a sermon. You could talk about what are the fears you've already faced? Uh-huh. You know, what was the dark night when you, when Jesus calmed your storm? Yes. Um, and you can draw on that to have some empathy and understanding for the fear uh-huh. that is struck into people when you start turning things upside down, you know? Because, yes, yes. of course, at the end of the day, like, if injustice is being challenged, I want to stand and be counted with those who are challenging the injustice, right? That's, that's right. But, but never without empathy for the fact that if all you've known is the injustice, uh-huh. change is hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So to be able to see it as fear, uh-huh. but to even invite to say, maybe you're afraid of changes that are coming let that fear be an opportunity to have awe, to be struck with awe in the great things God is doing. That's it. That's Even it. Yeah. If, if you're being, you're putting, it's putting you at risk, but it's worth it because God yeah. showed up, you know? Can, can you have faith that this, this countercultural alternative that, that Christ is offering is, is better than, than the status quo that you think yeah. you've been enjoying? You see? Even if it means losing a couple pigs. Yeah, yeah. Which, funny enough, just geek, geek moment. They, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the Mark, uh, Mark mentions that it's about 2,000, and Matthew right. and Luke both drop that. <laughs> right, right, right. Matthew, Matthew and Luke are always like, there's often these moments when they kind of like, Mark, you can tell they're almost like, I, I've heard you and your wife both say uh, that Mark's a young man's book, and, 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 
that's at least Matthew and Luke's view of Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the sense of like, oh, come on, Mark. It wasn't 2000. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm telling the story, Mark. I'm telling exactly. The- I'm telling a good story, man. That's why it has this preacherly oral quality that starts yeah. to get lost a little bit. Not as a whole. I think there's a lot of orality that finds its way into, into all four Gospels. Yeah. But uh, the structure of the whole, part of it is they're just longer. And it's just hard to retain that kind of oral sure. vibe. Sure. Whereas, Mark, you really can. You can internalize that whole pup and, and preach it in a little over an hour. I mean, it's it's well, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a two-hour read. That you they do it two when you do it? Yeah. Two hours, yeah. Well, of course, and when the way you do it, when I've heard you do parts, you, you can't bang it out, you know? No, 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 no. Cause you, you gotta, gotta take you gotta, your time with it. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think you could do any of it. You just can't do the others in, in, in two. They're just, oh no, it, it's, 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 it's quite um, an ordeal. And it's, and it isn't just length, it's style too, you know? But anyway, I just, that was just a, probably a bad thing for towards the end of the podcast to just throw in random jokes about no, Mark. But, no but you can tell sometimes when they correct him, I mean, it's, they're not saying it didn't happen. This isn't about that. It, it's again, it's this, it's, you can see Mark almost gesticulating while he's telling this story. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you see guys like Luke and Matthew sometimes kind of reining them in, like, let's just tell the facts. And yeah, you know, it's been wild even studying the, in the comparison, how, you know, even though Mark is shorter, his uh-huh. versions of each story are usually longer. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's purposeful in, in what yeah, he's what lots he's of little details, yeah. lots of little details, but then you learn a lot from like what Luke wants to highlight, you know, but then, then, you know, like that really highlighting that fear, which mm-hmm. I don't think is a, yeah, that doesn't appear in Mark. Yeah. So that's yeah. interesting. Right. And that, that justifies focusing on that in Luke's version, right. To kind of say, right. he really wants us to kind of see that when Jesus, you know, Jesus uh, upsets the social structures, which is, which is mm-hmm. an emphasis in Luke more than the others. Not, I mean, Jesus is that way in all of them, but yeah, Luke really likes to highlight the way that Jesus is a, is a disruptive force. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, you look, when you look at, when you look at this, this notion of, of crossing the lake, the storm, you know, you can, you can spend some time dealing with our own internal fears and, and the consternation that takes place when Jesus is asking us to give up our, our status quo. Crossing that is, is a, as a cataclysmic e- event. Hmm. When he gets to that place, we see him encountering the demon-possessed man. You could do some some comparisons where this is not the only example of Jesus dealing with a Gentile. We've got the centurion. We've got the Samaritan woman uh, in John later on. We've got the Syrophoenician woman. So you, the, the disciples are getting an education in how Jesus deals with the human race, not just with the yeah. household of faith, but he deals with, with people of, of all stripes from all ethnic backgrounds and so forth. So that's, that's an avenue to, to pursue. And this is, I'll put my cultural anthropology uh, hat on right now. This, when you, when you study cultural anthropology, you, you get your information from two places. You study, yeah, you read, you look at documentaries and you read texts and so forth and research but you also are a participant observer. You go yeah. and you talk to people, you engage people, and that would tie back into crossing uh, the lake or whatever boundary we have with our current immigration piece. There's a lot of rhetoric that's going on out there, and people are, are buying the rhetoric without doing the investigation, without being uh, doing the uh, uh, observation and so forth. I was looking this morning just, you know, on, on, I get these news feeds, and, and there was a man in that went into a taco restaurant and got ups, upset because the signs were bilingual and, and there was a, a sale that happened on Friday and the Spanish word for it is viernes. And so the two words are there and he's upset. He said, this is American. I speak English. We don't speak hey, hey, Mexican. Hey. It's like, really? So you've got that kind of sentimentality that's being stirred up now that the question mark is, Will the, will the church speak to that? Will the church let that go? Will we be silent? Is that a status quo that we're willing to live with? Is the rhetoric that's going on right now about immigration something that the church can and will be silent about? Or, or will they take a prophetic stance and say, you know what? The gospel does not deal with that. And there's, there's a cool Latin term that I just ran across this morning, quorum deo. Mm-hmm. In the face of God or in the presence of God, that everything that we do is in the presence of God. God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. 
And so if we truly live our lives quorum deo, that we really understand that whatever we say, whatever we do, wherever we go, God is there. What is, what is the, the compulsion for individual and the collective Christian body to do and to say with regard to these issues that we're facing with others? There's an othering process that, that goes on to diminish other folks. So what, what quorum deo, if we're in the presence of God, in the face of God, can we say and do these things with integrity in the face of God, knowing that God is hearing and, and, and saying and, and seeing what, what, what we're doing? So, so that I would, I would look at that and weave that in there because that's, there's, there's the, the notion of building in some Christian integrity, not just on Sunday morning in the worship, but can we live it out throughout the week where we go? Early on in our ministry, I think Sophia wrote a, a devotion in one of the churches. They had a weekly uh, newsletter. And, and she talked about holiness being what you do behind closed doors when nobody's looking. Are you, are you the same person? Hmm. So for me, that ties into this Coram Deo understanding with this passage that Jesus is the same, ah. whether he's with Gentiles or with Jews or Samaritans, can we do the same? Will we, will we sign up for that kind of Christianity where no matter where we go, no matter with whom we are, are engaged or surrounding uh, will we be the same? Will we be people of integrity and regard everybody as a person of sacred worth? So for me, I think that's that's kind of where the the sermon would go. I would I would uh, again, I'm looking at the audience, and depending on the audience, would would determine what kinds of illustrations that I would use to drive home a point, whether from the Bible or from contemporary settings. I would also look at you know what what is really going on in the news cycle and what's going on in the contemporary world that the church needs to speak to. And, and then the, the final piece, Sophia and I are, are dealing with an independent study student who's dealing with preaching from the Black tradition that focuses on celebration. And we, we talked about what celebration is. Celebration is not emotionalism. It is not an emotive thing. That's not the end-all, be-all of, of celebration. Celebration is an act of defiance. Hmm. When the psalmist say, my soul magnifies the Lord, regardless of the, the, the physical, mental, spiritual state of the psalmist, the psalmist is declaring and, and, and demanding of, of himself or herself, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to declare that I have more confidence in God and God's reality, God's countercultural good news kingdom of, of, of God than I do in this present situation. And if I do that, there's something that changes or forms within me. So if we're crossing the lake, what needs to be, what, what do I need to celebrate about God to enable me to cross this lake, to get into this, this territory, this uncharted territory, to deal with folks that perhaps I've only heard negative things about, to, to, to suspend judgment, so that I can really engage them with the, the love of Jesus Christ with integrity. So that's, that's kind of where I go with this. Yeah, I love it. That's great. That's great. That's a sermon worth preaching, crossing the lake. And you can even see the, there's a little bit of a celebration as an act of defiance in, in the act of the, the demoniac at the end, right? Yeah. Who, despite the disruption this caused, he goes around telling everybody. Yeah. And all he's got to tell him is, what Jesus has done for him, you know, that's and that's, that's enough. That's it. And that that would be what's on our lips. I mean, that's the positive kind of note when you raise the integrity question, are you the same on either side of the lake? Are you going right. to have integrity? And then the positive thing is to say, well, what, it, you know, what is it that, you know, we should be offering? Well, we should be talking about whatever Jesus has done for us, mm-hmm. um, wherever we are, you know, and whatever we encounter, whomever we encounter, um, even if they, sort of challenge our assumptions and status quo bias and all that. Yeah. No, that's really good, man. That's exciting. Well, thanks so much for taking the time, man. No, go ahead. No problem. No problem. Yeah. It's been great uh, talking with you and and learning with you and what a, what a, what a wild text. I I had a couple lined up that could have been um, for our time today and because we were working ahead a little bit and digging into the summer a little bit and, 
And I was like, oh, he'll know what to do with this text. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's nice that it falls, you know, in Pentecost, because Pentecost traditionally was the season where the new converts were being ah, yeah, prepared yeah. for declaring their Christian vocation. Because the day yeah. of Pentecost was when, I, when they were declaring this, after going through Lent and, and being right. baptized at Easter and so forth, they were... To, to declare, this is what the Lord is calling me to. This oh, is my yeah, hope. that is good. Yeah, that's right. Right after Pentecost. That's great. Yeah. So, yeah, well, thanks so much uh, for giving an hour of your time and offering your insights. And thanks to all our listeners. We appreciate y'all uh, listening in. And big thanks we want to give to uh, Eric Fisher for all his great production work and to Tom Adamson for donating uh, the music uh, at the beginning end and thrown throughout. Um, So yeah, thanks to y'all and we say have a good preach and a great week.